Hi, this is Kathleen Mercury with Games in Schools and Libraries, and I'm really excited about today's episode because I've got the privilege to speak with two people who work at the university, I'm sorry, Miami University in Ohio, um, and they have a really interesting approach on how they use games as part of their leadership courses that um, they offer at the university. And so I'd like to introduce everybody to J.S. Bragg and Bethany McMillan. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Uh, JS, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to be where you are now. Um, I went to my undergrad at Marshall University, which is in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, I did five years of undergrad there and three years of grad school, followed by another year um, working on another master's until I got my job at Miami. I started at Miami in August of 2005, um, working in student activities. So with that, what I do is my primary focus in my job currently is I'm the official campus rep for the 400 plus student organizations that are not club sports or fraternities or sororities. I directly advise five and a half student organizations, um, one of which I'm sure will come up a lot in our discussion today um, Mm -hmm. because it's very relevant. And um, then I also work with our university lecture series where we bring in different speakers. And finally, I work with the um, EDL 290 classes, which are leadership classes on campus. Um, And a lot of that spawned out of just previous life experiences. And so it works out perfectly that I get to do things I love. That is the hokey pokey, what it is all about. All right, so Bethany, tell us a little bit about yourself. Right, so I actually got my undergraduate degree over at Wittenberg University in music education. So I thought, you know, I want to teach music. Found out music was more of a hobby, but I love doing the teaching part. So Mm -hmm. I schlepped on over to Miami University, which is where I met JS during my graduate work. I wrote a couple of EDL 290 classes with him, which is where this one spurred from. Graduated and they liked me enough to give me a job here. That's awesome. Right. Made me very happy. (laughs) That's the dream. That's awesome. So I have a question because we'll get into the game stuff, but were either one of you gamers before you started incorporating games or did you use game? And and I really am probably jumping way ahead of where we should be. That's okay though. Um, Were you gamers first, teacher second, or were you, or or the opposite? My earliest memory um, is my mom as a child teaching me to play board games. Mm -hmm. Um, so by the time I was three years old, she was teaching me what I'll say at the time for a three-year-old were more advanced games. Like she was teaching me things like Monopoly. That's pretty Um, advanced for a three-year-old. And I mean, I wasn't reading what the things were, but just you're trying to collect three of a collar or Mm -hmm. something like that. And so my earliest memories are playing games with my mom and I still, we sit around and now my advanced games have greatly surpassed what she plays. But whenever we're together, we still play different games together. Cool. It would depend if you ask me or my family. So my earliest memories, I remember my grandparents had a game closet and I'd get so excited to pull something out on Sunday nights. But honestly, by the time I was in kindergarten and playing school with my friends, I was already giving them real homework or else they couldn't come back over to play with me. So (laughs) it depends on who you want to talk to. (laughs) That's funny. You're a fun one, aren't you? Woo! I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. My parents are both teachers. My sister's a teacher. I think I've probably played school probably more than I played a whole lot of other stuff. Okay, well, that's cool. I was just curious. All right, so um, the reason why we got in contact with each other, especially, though, is because of your EDO um, 290 class, right? 
And yes. so I'd love to hear you guys explain what you do in the class, because I think using games to develop leadership skills is something that a lot of times we think about as just part of like the natural byproduct of just playing games. Like it just naturally will develop some leadership skills when you're playing like a cooperative game, like pandemic or something, and people take the lead at different times, but you're using them very specifically as ways to examine leadership as a concept as a collection of values and beliefs and practices. And I think this is really interesting. So I'd love for you to explain what you guys do and how you do it. So um, there's kind of two aspects of this. There's the in-class and the out-of-class aspects. Um, I'll start with the in-class a little. And in some ways, we don't really operate as a reverse classroom, but it is very different than your standard classroom. So I'll talk a little bit first about what we do in the class and then let Bethany talk about how our quest system works, which is how our assignments work. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the class for the first 11 weeks of class, um, students come in class every day and they play a different tabletop game. So board game, card game, whatever we have for that week that we've picked out because it works with a specific leadership topic or concept we want to get across. So like as an example today, um, there's a video called um, The First Follower. And we wanted to talk about that concept and how important it is to reflect on sometimes you're a leader, sometimes you're a follower, people play different roles and different things. And so to do that, we watched the video in class and then we played Ultimate Werewolf. And so then they discussed after how they saw both the first follower concept and another concept that we talked about after that. We did another short activity after we played Werewolf to get them to think of what roles they typically play in groups. And then they incorporated all of that into their discussion of how they saw those concepts coming out in Werewolf. And that's what, for the first 11 weeks of class, they do on a week-by-week basis, is they come in and um, right before... Um, A few weeks ago, they came in and played Ladies and Gentlemen. Before that, they came in and played um, a couple of different games, like they would have a choice between these two games. And then they talk about how they saw leadership coming out. And sometimes we'll have different games, and so people are playing different games, but then showing how they saw the same leadership type coming out in those games. So that's kind of the in-class concept of what we do for the first 11 of the 14 weeks we're in class. The last three weeks deal much more with what they've been doing outside of class all semester. So I just want to add that all the links to all the different videos that you're talking about will be shared um, in the show notes. And the first follower video is one that's really interesting because it's something that my school administration had shown us at one point. And it's basically there's some sort of like outdoor concert. And one guy is just kind of off to the side dancing all crazy. And at first, you know, he's by himself and it's going on. And then someone else comes along and they show how it validates what he's doing. But it also shows how he as a leader basically includes the other guy. So it's not, he still has to be in charge. It becomes a more democratic thing. But that that first follower is so key to like waving other people in. And for a while, it's just the two of them. But then more people start coming. And finally, at the end of this like two and a half long video, there are people just running towards them because they all want to do this crazy, crazy dancing. And it's just such an interesting moment that someone captured in time. But it's really cool how it's being used to look at leadership. And so when you use Ultimate werewolf what are some of the different you know observations that they make this game tonight uh, a lot of what we saw our students do is after the first one would make an assumption as to who they should kill first uh, in the game all of a sudden it would jump into everybody else wanting to yep we're going to kill that person and so having them 
take a second to reflect on that and what does this look like uh, mm -hmm. in leadership and when you're in a student organization or at your job off campus, whatever it might be, who's going to be that first follower to second that leader? And so we had a lot of great discussion tonight. Mm -hmm. So like one of the examples there is we had the ghost role in the game. So the ghost role in Ultimate Werewolf um, gets to write letters on the board to give hints. So they have died and they know who the werewolves are and they get to give hints. Mm -hmm. And so one person, um, the ghost wrote an N and someone was like, Nick, it has to be Nick. Naturally it's N. And then someone else was like, Oh, that person has on shoes that have a big N on the side. Maybe it's that. And so each person started picking up followers to their idea of, is it this person or is it this person? And the room was divided on which way to go because there were two leaders stepping up and then they, both started gaining followers. So they reflected a lot on how they saw how that type of thing happened. That's really interesting. Cause especially too, with a game like werewolf where you have, you know, you can be really successful in that game. If you're really good at playing the crowd, did they get into any kind of analysis about leadership as it comes from like manipulating versus, you know, just sort of following along with, you know, assuming that the leader is good. Do you ever get into any of those kinds of like ethical discussions or something like that? We actually do a lot of that. We do an entire section and by section like a week or two talking about values and spend some time talking about how you see your values playing out in games. And so today, one of the things that was talked about, um, was we used an activity created by Phil Stamper and Michael McNeil. It's called the Shapes of Leadership. And mm -hmm. you identify what leadership you are based on one of four shapes. And then you talk about what's good and bad about those and how no one is all of one shape. Uh, but one of the shapes, the circle, identifies as the type of leader who is very caring and compassionate. And that person talked about how they realized that while they enjoy games like Werewolf, they have to go out of their standard personality because you can't be that caring, compassionate person in a game like that because you have to be more manipulative to be successful. Because if you're like, oh, I don't know if we should kill them, they'll be eliminated from the game, it's not going to get you anywhere in the game. And so you have to switch yourself up and switch your personality for how you do it. Um, mm -hmm. Where, you know, and, and so we took that into a conversation of what type of games does each of the four shapes like. And um, a lot of the values came out during there. One of the shapes, uh, the triangles were very much, much more about we like games where if we're going to play a co-op, we're going to tell everyone else at the table what to do. Uh, but we like a game where we can be like, we're going to do this because the triangles are very much do things my way. So the mm. triangles like games where they can come up with something and be like, I'm doing this no matter what. So each shape corresponds more or less like a personality type or leadership style. Is yes. that right? Because that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, it's something that is uh, not very commonly used. Uh, Phil and his friend Michael, Phil is a friend of mine, um, developed this studying Native American and Asian symbology rituals about 15 years ago. And hmm. it's something that they allow people to use for free, anyone who's interested, as long as they give them credit for. But it's just this really cool way to get people. It's along the lines of true colors, but gets people to talk about their personality types. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, so you talked about how you also use ladies and gentlemen in your classes. And ladies and gentlemen is a pretty funny game. Um, because there's two games going on simultaneously at different points. The game for the ladies where they go shopping and pick out the things they like. And then the men uh, play the stock market and try to get as much money. And then they come together after each round where they have to try to, the ladies try to get them to buy 
you know, various things for them, but the gentlemen have to, you know, kind of negotiate a little bit what they can actually afford because, of course, you don't actually talk about how much money you have. That's just absolutely gauche and uncalled for. And uh, and if you play with odd numbers, you can have a courtesan, which is hilarious. Um, but it's really, it's a funny game. Like if you're, you know, and, and especially if you gender swap and have women play the men and vice versa, you know, it can be really, really fun. So how in the world does that fit into a class about leadership? this game to specifically talk about identity and interactions based off of identities. Um, Mm. First, just looking at what identities are represented visually on the board uh, and how we see that in a larger scale, a macro level of all our board games. Do you see yourself represented? Why do you think that is or why isn't it? Um, And how can you as a future potential game designer influence that and why will that matter? And so it kind of helps us build that discussion of, you know what, this is my favorite game because I do see myself as a white woman buying all these fancy clothes and this is what I'd love to do. Or maybe I don't see uh, my identity because I'm someone who identifies as being handicapped or disabled and all of these people can walk freely between the stores. So it just kind of opens the door wide for students to see what they do and do not recognize on a daily basis. Oh, that's it. So it's really used about representation, you know, from like, like how we as humans are in, interpreted and, and played different roles as part of the games themselves. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was the first game that was decided on for this class when we when I came up with the concept for the class before I even knew Bethany, um, I came up with the concept and then I was like, Oh, this would be something fun, but didn't have anything concrete. And the first time I played ladies and gentlemen, my immediate thought was if I ever teach the class, this is a game that we're going to do because it'll really get people in good conversations, both about everything Bethany said. And then, about how people react and how people interact with each other. And then the things you say to each other and how they, some people might be like, oh, well, yeah, I said that I was being a typical rich lady. It doesn't mean anything. And someone's like, well, that really hurt my feelings with how, you know, you said that and the type of perception you have of how someone like that would act and really get them to think about how different identities play out in leadership and groups and stuff like that. That's really interesting. Have you had any really strong objections to the game? We have not to that game. Uh, The only game, and it's something we plan for ahead of time, uh, one of the games we use in the class, so most weeks it's we say we're going to play this game. There's been a couple weeks where we let them vote which game, and a couple weeks where we're like, you're going to have either of these games, just whichever you want to play. One week we directly make it, you get to choose the game, you're not forced to play a game, and that's because one of the games is Sanabi, which is great, fun game about shooting off fireworks, and the other one is Secret Hitler. And we're not going to force anyone to play Secret Hitler, so it is an optional thing just for play either that or Hanabi, and then we'll come back together. Um, well, that's interesting. I just um, spoke with uh, someone for the podcast um, about uh, games. He uh, he teaches at Bowdoin College, uh, Patrick Rao, and he uses games as a way to basically the kids play the games, analyze the games, and looking at it both in terms of the historical event and how it's expressed through the game, but also you know how accurately can games. Um, how accurately can games really capture something? And so we were talking about, you know, challenging content, like, for example, slavery um, is something that's come up in various games. And, you know, the ethics, basically, of, you know, the morality of using humans as a resource in a board game, you know, that some might say it's, it can be a learning experience, other people say it can be a toy. And the thing that we were, and because I ended up bringing up Secret Hitler, because I think that one is just, you know, 
is an interesting game in terms of, you know, gameplay itself and that it's a pretty good game, but the content in it can be really, really challenging and distasteful. I mean, I know people who just absolutely refuse to play it. Um, and his, and it was interesting, his concern about the game wasn't so much, um, he didn't have a problem with challenging content as much as it was um, that he didn't think that the player who plays Hitler really has to behave as Hitler did because what you have to do to win is to pretend you're liberal and Hitler never did that. So he kind of objected to it on that ground, but that one was really, that's an interesting one um, because it does evoke such a strong reaction um, in people when they're playing a game. One thing you might want to look into is there's a secret Voldemort that people have made, which I am dying to play because I'm a huge Harry Potter dork, you know? So um, have you, have you looked at that one as an alternative? I'm not saying you change your class. I'm just asking. I actually have. And I printed out the stuff to make one of the copies into secret. Voldemort. I just haven't mm-hmm. done so yet um, because that's something that I considered is just doing the reskin to make it into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, we just haven't made it into that yet, but that is something that I've actually already even printed the stuff to do. Yeah. Well, and the thing too is like, and I don't have a, and, and I, I think it's a good thing to, you know, to, I'm not saying shy away from these conversations, especially at the college level, you know, to yeah. have them really think critically you know, about ladies and gentlemen and how they're depicting the roles of men and women and even having us play those roles out today. I mean, in a lot of ways, that game is can be just as political in some ways, you know, as and a lot of other games out there. It just is packaged in a really cute pink box, you know. Yeah. I mean, I have a game called uh, Liebe and Intrigue, and that's a game where you have our father trying to marry off your daughters, you know, and trying to boost their, you know, charm and beauty and stuff. And I mean, that one's not as, like, interactive as this one goes but you know but still it's one that puts you in an interesting you know sort of headspace I guess so um so tell me more about like other games you use and what types of like leadership concepts because one thing that I thought was interesting when I was looking through a lot of the articles you sent and a lot of the video links you sent to me a lot of what they talked about isn't just leadership as um the guy in front of the room or the woman in front of the room but really about you know, the values and behaviors and beliefs and how you can, you know, in, in embody this like on a day-to-day life. And so I guess this probably lies more with like your out-of-class assignments that you were talking about. Yeah. So we kind of built our out-of-class experience in a, I guess, experience points shape. Uh, students are allowed to choose which assignments that they complete outside of the classroom. And they build how many experiences that they want to. So if they're happy with a C in the class, that's how many assignments they do, um, all the way up to that A+. But these assignments are very much based in the three different areas. We have the interactive media studies, the educational uh, like education genre, and then also in leadership. And they all meld over each other. Um, so how it kind of works is we tell the students that uh, if you want an A plus in the class, you need X amount of points. It's something like 720 some. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need so many different points in the class. And then you choose. We have created what we call quests um, that are worth anywhere from 10 points for a quest to 200 points. And you choose, I'm going to go on this quest and I'm going to do this type of thing. Um, And that's the type of activity you do. So a couple of examples of those are um, 
again, I work with student organizations, so that kind of colors part of the class. So you can write a rule book or create a board game based on your student organization, and then you get so many points for that. One of the really popular ones is build yourself as a role-playing game character or create a choose-your-own-adventure story that is based around anything you want, but it gives you that interactivity. Um Create And this gets back to what you were talking about, about um, the different concepts and things we use in class. One of the activities we do is Drew Dudley is a big inspiration on the leadership philosophies that we use at Miami and in particularly that I use. And one of the activities that people can choose to do is to create an activity based off of one of his TED Talks. So there's different things like that that people do. They can design an escape room or things like that that they can do for points. We only have one required assignment in class. And next to that, everything is optional that they can do at any time by the end of class. We also don't have deadlines. So last semester being the first semester we taught the class, uh, going into the last semester, we had a couple people who were already sitting comfortably at A's. And we had several people who had zero points. And then they just jumped in and got the points that they needed throughout the course of the semester. That's really interesting because it's not just using games in the classroom, but you're gamifying the class itself, you know, and, and, and I love that it's so many different aspects of all different aspects of game design, you know, from RPGs to escape rooms, you know, tabletop games, writing rule books. How do you, how do you make that sort of cohesive under this, you know, leadership class umbrella? Um, Well, part of it is under how we did it under leadership, and part of it is just how we did it in general. And how we did it under leadership, um, a lot of that came from me. Um, Leadership is something I studied in college, studied working here, and something that's an actual integral part of Miami. Miami is a major university around leadership and leadership-related concepts. So even... And this is, to me, a funny story and shows who I am and how leadership is ingrained in every part of my life. I was walking into a store the day Avengers came out on Blu-ray to go buy it. And as I'm walking into the store, what I'm thinking isn't, ooh, I get to go see this and get to see Iron Man and all that. It was, you know, this movie is really a good study of Tuckman's stages of group development because in the <laughs> movie you can see uh, forming, storming, norming, but you can see it all in there and I could use this in class with these. So I'm thinking of that because leadership's so ingrained in everything I do and everything we do here at Miami. So I think of those things. So for me, the leadership was part of the just natural getting it into a class. That's where Bethany was absolutely critical. Um, so before we go there, just backing up slightly um, um, to give you a little background, the concept for the class came up um, out of a conference that I went to. So um, one of, I won't even say one of my friends, someone I know's wife who they know me somewhat Um, sent me a link back in 2012 that said, hey, this is a conference you would absolutely love. You need to go to it. Um, And the name of it was the North American Simulation and Gaming Association. I was like, yes, that does sound like something I would love. How can I make this work for work? How how can they? And then I started looking, and NASAGA, uh, the entire conference, is about how to use game simulations and activities for educational purposes. And I was like, this is right up my alley. This is what I want to do. And one of the earliest sessions I went to was put on by Scott Nicholson, who some people may know. He's done a lot of videos around board games and Greg Kozer. And they did a session on how you can use different board games for educational topics. I didn't know this at the time. I think it was a last minute um, session because someone else canceled because I now 
work with Nasago on a number of things. And this wasn't on their initial outline. So I think this was a session that they um, threw in to fill a spot. Um, so they just used some games that they had brought, but they talked about how games can be used for educational purposes. And my mind immediately went as I'm going through and uh, I play Can't Stop and Ink and Gold. And they talk about how those games can be used to get people to talk about risk taking. My mind is exploding with, oh, my God, I can do this with leadership. And that was back in 2012. And um, I'm still involved with the conference, but I had this idea. And the idea just was going to linger in my head because going back to those shapes I said earlier, I'm one of the shapes is a squiggle and they are the creative person, but who's all over the place and aren't exactly the best at executing. So I came up with all these ideas of what I could do. And I did take it to the step of, I reached out to our educational leadership department to say, Hey, would this be okay for me to do as an EDL class? And she was like, yeah, that'd be great. Um, and then I just kept it in my head for four years or so hmm. until Bethany came along. And then that is Bethany is actually how, we formatted how we were going to do the games and leadership and all of that into a class because Bethany of the four per, of the four shapes, Bethany is a square, which is a more organized person who can, they get stuff done and they make sure things are done accurately and stuff. And so she can really talk well about how we took all of these concepts and ideas that were bouncing around in my head um, and turned it into a class. And, but it started with her telling me we are going to do this. Um, she actually had did a practicum with me to create another class. And at, towards the end of that practicum, she said, hey, I'm doing an independent study with you in the spring. Not can I, not would this be, she was, I'm doing an independent study with you in the spring. And I was like, great, that works for me. What are we doing? Because Beth and I uh, became close friends from working with each other. And she mm -hmm. said, oh, we're going to write that gaming class you've talked to me a lot about. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds fun. We can get it written. And she's like, and you're teaching it next fall. And I was like, wait, time out. <laughs> that won't work. We can't do that. And she's like, yes, we can. And here's how we're going to do it. And so I'll let her talk a little bit about what that process of going for the formation of the class was like and making everything cohesive. Perfect. Right. So we were pretty much right at the crux of everything. I just said JS we're doing this. Uh, he, I don't think, believed me at first when I said, we have one semester and this will happen, uh, but we did it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, my favorite thing in the world are post-it notes. And so for pretty much the entire semester, we covered wall to wall, every inch with post-it notes of what do we want this, what are the outcomes that we're trying to achieve by this? How are we going to do that? What assignments are we going to have, if at any? Because uh, if you've learned anything about JS so far, um, that's not exactly his favorite thing in the world, is uh, mm -hmm. academic-y type stuff. He likes having fun, which is mm -hmm. great. Um, I get that. Right. <laughs> it's a great balance here. And mm -hmm. so we just kind of built it up from there. I was the one that made him put everything into lesson plans. I made him format everything with reflection questions at the end, because it's great that we're playing games in class, but if we're not talking about them afterwards, uh, we're kind of losing a big chunk of the learning experience, because otherwise it's great. I learned that I had fun, and I like board games, but what's that next step? Why did you play this game? How are you going to utilize this moving forward, and how does this tie into the assignments we're having you do when you leave these four walls of the classroom? And so mm -hmm. we kind of went back and forth as to how we were going to structure it. I'm much more the theory person, so I made him find a couple theories that we can lean into that way when school says, okay, you want all this money, but how are you going to prove that they're actually learning? Uh, we had something to back us up. 
So the two that we kind of base the most out of were probably Bloom's Taxonomy and then the Learning Partnership Model. Um, Bloom's Taxonomy is super popular. Everybody kind of knows it's a pyramid. It starts at the bottom with just being able to remember some facts um, and moves all the way up to creation as being the top of the pyramid. And we mm -hmm. thought, you know, we have students from all different uh pieces of the university. Even this semester, we have a graduate student in our class. And so how are we going to make this class accessible and worthwhile to this wide, vast range of these students? And so having these opportunities for students, not only to just start testing out that gaming knowledge, but to start applying uh, the leadership roles that they've had on campus and in their lives beforehand, and then eventually to create those games, and then kind of jumping into the learning partnership model, it's a little bit different, but talking about that support and challenge, it this theory is based a lot on a tandem bicycle. Um, so thinking about putting the student on the steering wheel and us being in that back seat, kind of helping to pedal, but not steering where they're going. Mm -hmm. So challenging them, you know, maybe you're not a gaming major, but why don't you try a, a gaming assignment? The worst you could happen, you, you don't get all your points, go back and try again. Um, so just making sure that they have all these opportunities. And uh, I think that's kind of how JS and I worked together behind the scenes also is obviously I'm not that super creative person. That's not who I am. I'm more of that structure. Uh, and he kind of balances me out. We kind of, we call each other the mountain builders because we mm -hmm. kind of overlap just enough so that we form a point at the end, which is I think what happened with this class. Well, I think that's really cool to like find and have that sort of synergy with someone else, you know, from a productive standpoint, you know, I design games, my boyfriend designed games, and it drives us crazy when we work together on stuff because we're so different. But it's such a good thing when we do manage to make it work. Because, you know, I'm so much more like focused on like player experience, and he's so much more focused on mechanics. And you can't have a successful game without having, you know, a strong presence on each of those. And so um, I get that. And I guess one question, though, as far as like, so what are like the outcomes then that you would want for your students to have? And how do you know they get there if they can be so selective about the assignments that they do? I'm totally going to start answering this with the, I mean, this is Bethany's area totally, um, but it's something that she, so when we're doing this, she mentioned theories are not my thing and we'd be working on theories and she'd be like, oh my God, do you realize what we're doing? We did this and this and this and it's so great. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean we did that? Um, but uh, she was like, oh, so with this class, we're going to have weekly reflections where they'll fill out a note card. And they're going to be able to reflect on what they learned in the class that day. And I'm like, "We're going. why are we going to do that? She's like, no, just trust me. And then we're going to do a pre-test and post-test. And I was like, I've never done a pre-test and post-test. And she's like, well, we're going to, and it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. And we did that, and it was great. And it actually told us, like, we have our learning outcomes for the class, and it told us that we were meeting all of those learning outcomes. <laughs> so we were able to measure that, and Bethany will talk a little bit more about that. Sure. I have actually the original proposal that we had of this class and uh, how well we've actually stuck with these. So there's four of them we wrote out. So we said, through... Th through active participation in this course, students will be able to, one, compare and contrast different leadership philosophies through tabletop games, which we spend the first two or three weeks on. Uh, two, identify and develop their personal leadership philosophy. So working on what do they think is leadership, 
we go through those different personality tests for leadership, that type of thing. Uh, three, analyze the importance of group leadership in specific contexts. So getting them to recognize it's not just your personal leadership style, but it matters in a group context also. So moving past that personal identities and values into a group identity and mission statement. And then four, utilizing game design concepts to create their own leadership uh, tabletop game, which we haven't seen yet this semester because we're only about midway through, but last semester mm -hmm. they turned out pretty awesome. Some games that are just about ready to probably go through the final beta, beta testing and go out into the market. Wow. So are they looking to like do Kickstarter? Or are they going to um, go the publisher route? What What are you, that's so cool. That's awesome. A couple, a couple of them are talking about that now. There's a couple of the games in particular that just blew everyone away and really surprised us with the, col with the quality of them. Mm -hmm. So one of them is called College Town Showdown. I don't know if they'll end up keeping that game. Um, but they started with it, and this is kind of an interesting way it works. So Le Bethany wasn't able to teach with me last semester, and so I chose one of our game design students on campus because a significant part of the assignments and the one requ the one required assignment for the class is you have to create a game that in some way shows leadership by the end of the semester. Um, and uh, then there's other assignments that are around designing games. So last semester I had an undergraduate student who's a game design student in my class with me. Um, so he was able to be there and help people out with the uh, with their games and, oh, did you think about this? And so that game is kind of an area influence game where the uh, a fraternity, a sorority, the student government, and uh, the football team are trying to get the most influence on campus and they get different amounts of influence and different abilities by controlling different locations on the board. And it's this really cool mechanical game that has a hidden like programming aspect of they choose where they're going to go, but then other people can mess with it. And it just mixes a few genres of games in a really creative way. And then another group came up with this really cool logic problem game where everyone it's called rules and roles, which they would probably change um, if they decided to take it further. And everyone, Everyone has a rule, so something that they have to do. Like one of them was you must immediately grab the person beside you's hand and can't let go the whole game. And then they had a role, like you must always lie. And then they would have an item and something else. And they had to, based on what a clue, they based on those things they had, they had to line up everyone who was in the game in a certain order. So there were just these really cool concepts that really surprised us um, uh, over the course of the class that really impressed us to the point where this semester we're doing an expo inviting people from different programs in. Miami has one of the better interactive media study programs, game design programs in the nation. Um, we're currently ranked in the top 10 in game design programs in the nation. And this class, because of what we do in the class, the, the IMS program was so impressed that this counts as for game design majors as one of the classes they can take. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. You know, one thing I might suggest they do, and this I think could be a really interesting sort of leadership opportunity, um, is since you're in Ohio, you have easy access to both Gen Con and to Origins, which are, you know, two major conventions. You know, have them set up appointments with publishers and pitch their games and give them that experience because, you know, I mean, I can tell you as a designer doing that, you know, it's nerve-wracking, but it's so much fun. And I think it's like the best kind of like real-world application. Plus, you know, if the games, you know, 
if it, it, it's so often, you know, one publisher would love it or in those, the, you know, like I've put pitched games and said, you know, we can't really do much with this, but you need to talk to so-and-so and then we've had things work out, you know, but that might be a really interesting um, experience for them to say, okay, it's one thing to do this in this class. Now here's the real world, put the baby out there. Yeah, that's one of the things we've talked about doing. And I think that's something that, uh, so the lead designer of the College Town Showdown, his name is Sam Ford. And it was pretty much the rest of the group were brainstorming and would help come up with concepts, but he was very much the lead designer of the game, mm-hmm. uh, which they were very open about. And that's fine because you need that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, he's working to, he actually just graduated last semester and got a job in our athletics department here. And he, um, at the end of the semester, is getting the game back because I kept the game to show off to class this semester. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the semester after the, sh- uh, the expo, he's going to get the game back and then work on it more and has talked about doing that type of thing of trying to set up something and you're in St. Louis trying to go to or- Gen Connor Origins and set up something with Jamie Stegmeyer or with one of the other designers there to be like, hey, what tips can you give me? How can you help me work on this? Because they know that, especially a game like that, I mean, it's they based it off our college, but it's something that they could actually sell to bookstores at colleges because the game is a lot of fun, but accessible enough that a lot of different Mm -hmm. people can play it and they could theme it to different colleges. So, Oh, here's the um, university of Cincinnati version. Mm -hmm. Here's the um, NYU version or whatever uh, with buildings that were specific for their campus. And then a lot of people would be more interested. So they're looking at how they can do that after they get some more testing. They Mm -hmm. had a few bugs in the system as you will. Um, That were the initial game they played with just some of their friends and that weren't really gaming type people. And they were like, like one person won all four games they played, but one with each of the different things. And then they brought it to class to test with people who played a lot of games. And we broke the game because one role would win every time if you knew what you were doing. And so they're like, Oh, we need to work on game balance more. So they're still in that point with the game. Sure. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, that's one thing. It's like they play tested a hundred times. It may not be enough, but it's so good. Well, I know Jamie, um, he's here in St. Louis and, um, and certainly like if there's, um, if, you know, I know, I know a few people. So, um, if you're interested, put them in contact with me and I'll see what I can do as far as, cause I'll be at both of those as far as helping them, um, meet up with people, make appointments or whatever. I'm, I'm more than happy to, um, I mean, cause I teach game design with my students and they're in seventh grade. And so we don't have enough time and, and they're 13, 14, you know, to really develop a game all the way through to where it's ready to be, uh, presented to publishers. So I'm absolutely, but it's my dream someday that, you know, that they'll be there, you know, maybe you'll have them in class one day. So, um, send them our way. Yeah, no, I'm totally happy to help. Um, so I want to, I want to, uh, kind of circle back just a hair. Tell me about other games that you use. Cause I think people will be really interested in kind of hearing about what are all the different types of games you don't necessarily have to go into like, you know, every single type of concept that you're going with, although certainly you can talk about that if you want. But what are the other games that you have found that fit into this class really well? So I'll start with our basic layout because and with the with how we designed the class, Bethany was much more theory and I was much more um, game. Um, and that's actually how it is this semester. Last semester, teaching it for the first time was interesting because I was the leadership person and had to be the concept person in all the reflections where I had a game design student. So he was the games person. I'm much mm-hmm. more in my comfortable role of being games. But with the games, and Bethany will go through some of the games we chose in a minute, but I unintentionally. So I do a lot of things and it just works out well when I do it. Um, like 
we would be working and Bethany's like, oh my God, do you realize what we did with the assignments we created? We created a full range of Bloom's taxonomy. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I'm glad you're excited. And so (laughs) one of those happy accidents with the class, we start with a very basic game. The first week, week one, we do talk about the syllabus a little. I normally don't talk about the syllabus in class, but we have to at this class. Mm-hmm. But week one, we talk Avalon. We do Avalon mm-hmm. week one, so we start with a very simple game anyone can do. The game we play week 11, the last week we're playing games, if we handed them week one, they would drop the class because they would be afraid of, because it, they'd be like, this is way more complex than any game I'd ever be comfortable playing. And that is that week we play either Time Stories or Pathfinder Adventure card game. Mm-hmm. So we have this escalating ramp of the types of games we're going to play. And Bethany will get a little bit more into that. Right. So kind of as like I talked earlier, we kind of start with just the vocabulary, basic vocabulary of games, of leadership, and build it up from there. Okay, so now you have these terms. Let's look at you as a person. How do you see these coming across? Growing from identity you into the group leadership and going from there as kind of creating your own definition of leadership. So now you kind of saw this leadership changes based on who you are and who you interact with. Uh, where do you end up? Is there one type of leadership? Can there be one type of leadership? And how can you define that? Um, so, so, uh, so then what other specific games do you use then? So well, games we haven't mentioned yet, we use Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Mm. Um, and we use that a lot. Uh, it's the week where we talk about Drew Dudley's lollipop moments. or It's the third week of class, and we use it to talk about Drew Dudley's lollipop moments. And I mentioned Drew. Uh, Drew is someone who has several TED Talks, and um, that really, when I started watching his TED Talks, they fit with what we wanted to teach, but ta- gave the message in the way we wanted. So we use that to talk about um, personal leadership, personal objectives, how people can help someone or impact someone without thinking of, oh, I did this and it really helped them, but um, they may not realize the impact they had on people. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next week we start talking about um, building your character and who you are as a person. And we use Mysterium for that. So Mm. how each person uh, interprets a clue would be different. So you may give this clue and think, oh, well, this is obvious I'm doing this because there's a rat on here. And the Scottish bagpipe player has this bag that the exact fur type and color of the fur is what the rat looks like. So they're going to get this and then they don't. And so using to talk about how different people perceive things and operate in different manners. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, uh, next week in class, we talk about values a lot. And we did that this semester through two rooms and a boom. So we uh, talked about how your values had to play or not play out because, oh, well, you were given the role of the bomber, but you're really not going to probably go try to assassinate the president. How did you play that out? And then how do you see, again, with what we said today with the person, uh, I have to play the game differently just to fit the role I'm given and how that type of thing works. Um, so those are just a few of the examples of other games we use in the class. Mm-hmm. Are there uh, any games out there that you would like to incorporate, but you haven't quite figured them out and how you'd want to put them in? The game I would most like to incorporate, it isn't a figuring out how to fit it in. It would actually work well with the concepts we're talking about in class, but it's one of the, it was the first mistake I made with the class. Um, and it, I knew I couldn't use this game, but the class is an hour and 40 minutes, one day a week. Um, I would. I wish it was a three-credit hour class. It's a two-credit hour class, but we have a policy that 
to be a three credit hour class, it has to be a full-time faculty member. I'm a staff member, so I couldn't teach the class. So that Mm -hmm. wouldn't work. So it has to be an hour and 40 minute class. So my initial mindset was, oh, then I need games that are 90 minutes or less. Well, no, because as Bethany mentioned, that leaves little time for reflections. So we put betrayal in, but betrayal can take an hour and a half to two hours. So we had to set, okay, at this time in class, we stop playing no matter if you're done or not. And then we start talking about what you're doing and what games you're playing, stuff like that. So the game I would, to answer your question, the game I would love to put in is my favorite game, Battlestar Galactica, because there's so much leadership that you can see in all aspects of that game. I was literally looking at that game on the shelf. I was literally looking at a a copy of Battlestar Galactica, and I was thinking to myself, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. No lie. That is my number one choice of what I'd like to use in the class, but it would have to, and it's really hard to do this, time stories we use in the class, uh, it has a save state where we can play it consecutively over two weeks, which we do. Uh, Pathfinder Adventure Card Game is a little longer, but it has a save state where we can play it over two weeks. BSG doesn't have a good save state where we could just save the game and come back and play it again the next week. So that is my number one. I wish we could play this. Um, but a lot of the games I would like to play because I think one of the... So at the beginning of the semester when we do the pre tests everyone's like one of the questions is how do you see leadership in board games and most people are like well yeah it's only in cooperative games and we quickly dispel that with putting them in other games and they're like oh my god i saw so much leadership in this and there was no cooperation at all we played survive escape from atlantis and there was no cooperation but i saw how leadership played out and how people did different things and so Something like Battlestar, something like Twilight Imperium would be something that's like, oh, my God, you could see so much leadership in this, but it's not an hour and 10 minute experience. Mm -hmm. So that's my biggest wish for the class is that I could do a longer, more in-depth game to really get more in-depth with leadership. I have thought, and the game time is just a little too long, but if... We intentionally set the class at 24 people because so many games are either four, six, or eight player max. Yes. Um, so 24 people, that works perfectly. Um, if we could do smaller player counts, game goes quicker, that we could use something like Scythe, where people would see how a lot of leadership and how a lot of different styles of how you play the game. Because I play the game and I don't enter into combat when I play Scythe. I try to do other things where one of my friends is going out and he's attacking people and he loves when he gets to be Saxony because, oh, I can just attack everyone. And so getting to have that how different people with something like Scythe would be great, but we'd have to lo- limit it to like four players and then hope they would get done in time. So time is my biggest issue with the games I'd like to use in class. Yeah, I have that same issue because my class is about 50 minutes. And so when I want my students to play games, you know, they have to be able, especially in the very beginning, they have to, I play a lot of really short, fast games. Now, granted, I'm doing pure game design, not necessarily taking playing games and then extending it to something else. Um, I probably should be, obviously, look at what I'm missing out on. Um, and I'm not kidding when I say that. But um, but yeah, the time is the times of the time is I think the enemy for every teacher out there. And so I've had games where, you know, they're they're really good games and they're worth playing, but they just never get to finish. And I took all of those out except for Catan because it's one where kids love it enough that they can see where the game is going. And then it's one that they will usually want to play like in our board game club or something like that. So plus I feel like that's one I feel like they need to 
know if they want to be a game designer. And you did say Survive Escape from Atlantis, which is one of my top five games. I was just on a podcast called Five Games Till Doomsday. And um, that's like, for me, from a design standpoint, one of my absolute favorites. So I was excited to hear you say that. Um, What do you think will happen if a game bombs? Like if a game just you know, just doesn't resonate. They don't like it. You know, I mean, cause I've had that happen where I've had them play games that I thought, you know, this is a really good solid game and they just are completely indifferent to it. Have right. you had that? We definitely have. Um, even sometimes we'll have three different large groups playing the same game, but different groups. Um, one of the groups, it'll just play out differently just based on how the cards are drawn or who is mm-hmm. playing it. And, uh, one of my good friends, Civ Asylum Tiagaran, he goes by Tiagi in the gaming uh, realm here, uh, he said the basis of any good gamer is to have that great discussion afterwards. And so, okay, so why did this happen? And still being able to turn that concept around and be like, okay, so why was this different? And what did you see? How would you do this differently next time? Because mm-hmm. even failures are successes in learning. Yeah, and especially if you can get them to see that a game is good, this is probably more relevant on the seventh grade level than where you're at, but it can still be a good game even if you lost. <laughs> you know, right. sometimes <laughs> the kids are like, I don't like that game, I lost. They're like, well, but could there still be some good points to it? They're like, mm, you know, it stings. Exactly. Yeah, we don't, ha- we don't have that as much, but we do have people who are like, ah, oh, that game, it just didn't, either the mechanics or whatever, they just, this didn't work well for me. This isn't the type of game I'd enjoy, but they still get so much out of it that they can have in conversation. So for mm-hmm. us, it's still a win. We had one game last semester, and I'm interesting to, interested to see how next week will go. Because last semester, there was only one section of the class. This semester, there's two. And last semester, one of the games absolutely bombed. But I wasn't there that day because I was away at a conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually at Nasaga, and the person, the, the game design student who was running the class that day for me, um, he doesn't know the game that well. And so then the students just, like, when they'd have questions, he would try to help them out of the rule book, but he didn't understand the game that well. And so I'm wondering how much, if I had been there, and if I had been able to build that energy level for, oh, no, this game, it's would have changed it. So I'm interested to see how it goes next week. And that's Captain Sonar. Mm. Um, And we use it to talk about group communication and how um, all of the different voices you'll hear and having to work within a group to handle all of these voices to do different things. And so Captain Sonar is perfect for that. I'm interested to see, I'm actually teaching both sections next week because the person who teaches the other class isn't going to be able to be here. So Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to see if it's the game doesn't work with the nature of the class or if it was just, it didn't work the relationship with his knowledge of the game. Mm. Have you ever heard of the uh, role-playing game, The Quiet Year? I have not. No. This is a great one. I've used this because I do a, an RPG design unit with my students. And this is one of like the preliminary games we play before we get into um, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. In the quiet year, and this is one where I've played it where each table can play it, and I've basically been like the moderator for each because it's really pretty easy. Or you can have each table doing their own thing. But basically, in the quiet year, the story is that there's been this like sort of like apocalyptic war, and it's over. And there's one year of rebuilding this community until the Frost Shepherds come. And it uses a standard deck of cards. They're separated into seasons. And what's really interesting about this game is, one, it's a cartography game. 
There's very little actual communication, but you put a big piece of paper down on there. You start with some like preliminary sort of like elements of a community. You know, there might be a few little ruins and like one is like, and there's some pre-made maps, like one is a subway or one is, you know, like, you know, kind of like a, an archipelago where there's islands and, you know, that sort of thing. And so what you do is you um, read a card and there's a choice, you know, like a new threat has appeared or something has suddenly gone scarce. And what players do is whoever's turn it is, they, you know, read the card, say what their choice is, they like a sentence or two on what they want to do, but then they actually draw it on the map. And so they have to communicate through writing. And then after that, they can take different actions. One is start a discussion, but a discussion is, you know, like, what does everyone think about this new well? And everyone gets to say one thing and one thing only, and that's it for the discussion. Um, communication is incredibly limited in that game. Um, so a lot of what you do, you know, is based on drawing and like just a few sentences here at a time. So if someone does something you don't like, you can take a contempt token. And then as the game plays, you can put contempt token back if somebody basically makes you feel better or if you do something selfish where you're like, yeah, I got them back and so I can do that. But it's really, really interesting because, I mean, and we're talking stick figures. This is not something for artists. In fact, my artistic kids tend to slow things down because their <laughs> drawings become beautiful. But it's meant to simulate how communication in groups is fractured and imperfect. And you can never really know, like, where that everyone is on the same page. It's really interesting. I don't know if this would fit, but I think it's something that might even be worth doing just a little bit just to get that idea um, as far as um, communication because my students really struggled with it because they wanted to discuss. They wanted to have you know conversations where everyone was on the same page and they really struggled to, f to follow those rules because it just went against everything what they said. So, I mean, they got the game intellectually and afterwards they'd even say, you know, we wish we had followed the rules more because we see what it was trying to do but I think with that one, you can really see some interesting kinds of leadership, you know, develop, especially because so much of it is nonverbal or limited. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. And so it's um, the website is Buried Without Ceremony, um, The Quiet Year. And I've used it, I think, in a lot of, um, I mean, my role playing game class. But honestly, I would even do it like if I had like a week and I wanted to do something sort of standalone with my students just because... One, they think it's kind of fun to create that world, but also, too, um, it's really frustrating for them, too, which, you know, I, is, of course, enjoy. Right, <laughs> outside of your comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is really good, you know. I mean, and sometimes, like, kids will do something, and granted, I teach middle school, <laughs> and everyone in middle school is known for being, you know, at optimal human level. You know, one kid kept, like, introducing all these weirdo things that didn't make sense. But in the game, they kind of had to let it happen and watch it happen. And then in terms of like how they had to deal with that as far as the game, I mean, they were taking lots and lots of contempt, you know. And so this is where the kid's playing the game, you know, as a game, not necessarily what he's trying to do, you know. So we talked about that, too, is what happens when you don't want to follow the rules and what happens when you do try to make it into something else. It just became, it became a whole other thing that I thought was interesting. But I think it's probably worth, um, you may want to check that out because it's really, even if you play RPGs, on your own life, that's a great one shot too. So consider it. Yeah, um, check that out. Yeah. So, um, what do you think for like the future of this class? Or are there other classes that you'd want to offer at some point? 
Right. So right now we are kind of deep in the weeds, I guess you'd call it, of pulling together all the data from last semester and this semester of kind of rebuilding this class as we go. Mm -hmm. um, also noting that it was originally on a $0 budget, and we got a grant from our Center for Teaching Excellence here on campus. Um, we currently have, oh, correct me if I'm wrong, JS, three current EDL290 courses. We have several on campus. There's three that I work with directly, but there are, so the EDL290 classes at Miami Zero Ending classes have a letter tag to them. So this is EDL290T for tabletop games mm -hmm. and each one with a different letter shows up differently on different on your curriculum or on mm -hmm. your transcripts. So we have an S class, which is EDL 290S. It's student org leadership. There's one for our Wilkes leadership Institute. There's one for our orientation office. We have a few different ones, but I work directly with an open one, the student org one and the tabletop. Hmm. Well, that's so cool. Bethany's currently also working on another one that she's in development with, with the advisor of F-Word, which is the feminist working on real democracy, mm -hmm. um, which is one of our student orgs. She's working with their advisor on a women in leadership class. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah especially <laughs> there's some games that you can, you know, bring in where you talk about representation of women and that they are objects, not agents with autonomy. Oh, don't even get me started. Exactly. We compete yeah. for that grant money uh, later this month, actually. So stay tuned. Yeah, well, that's cool. Well, I'm working on a, a revamped version of Old Maid, kind of like from the spinster side of the story, and also showing how, you know, especially when women were basically financial objects for their families to use in negotiations, how, you know, maybe it's not quite so fun, and there's all kinds of other factors in play, because, I mean... It's weird that I would be sort of a feminist who knew being a woman in the gaming world, weird. Um, <laughs> that sort of. Um, well, this is really, really interesting. I mean, are you, you know, it's like you have to be really proud of what you've done here because you've taken something when it comes to leadership where people think, you know, like, for example, for me, for like, we watch those TED Talks and Scott Lackey, my, my assistant principal, put a lot together. He's fantastic, you know, but we watched a lot of them and then you talk about it, but it's a whole different other thing to have that sort of hands-on experience. And I think it's really, really cool that you had the vision, you know, and, you know, the ability to put this together and put it out there for other people. Uh, through Nasaga, one of the key concepts is that people learn better through experiential learning. Mm -hmm. And we truly believe that. And so we were like, okay, so even in the non-gaming classes, we do a number of activities, different things in class to get them doing something to then reflect on how they saw leadership. And we were like, we can do this with board games. Uh, it, We are extremely proud. I, I am. Um, and it has grown beyond our wildest imaginings. Um, so Bethany was like, you're teaching this in the fall. And I was like, no, uh, that's not possible. And my first roadblock was we would need thousands of dollars for the big games. And she was like, we'll get that. And so after all of this is done, we schedule the class, get it on the class. And I'm baffled that this class is going to be happening in the fall. And then within before all of the seniors on campus were able to register, the class failed. Mm -hmm. It was so popular. We have a broader array of students and have ever taken a leadership game. We have everyone from people on the football team to game design majors, uh, a member of the Society of Physics students. It's just all over the place of who's taking the class. Uh, we created a blog for the class, and the whole purpose for the blog was really I wanted a place where people could do Game of the Week reflections or turn in some of their assignments in a 
public forum. And it's been getting like, I ran into people at Nasaga and they're like, oh yeah, I've been following that blog for your class. It's really good. I'm enjoying what students are saying and what you all say about the class. And I'm like, whoa, people are actually reading this. Um, and then there's things like this, doing the podcast, the university last semester, uh, hearing about the class, um, we're like, hey, can we send university photographers in to take pictures of the class to use in publicity materials to show the cool things we're doing here? And it's beyond my wildest dreams of what the class could have been, the type of how well it is. And then the quality of the student work just absolutely continues to blow me away with the things they create. That's so cool. An educator at heart, just seeing all these students who do come through these uh, the door of our classroom each semester, you know, these aren't necessarily who you would pinpoint as leaders in the past of what we've seen as a leadership model here. Um, and just seeing them be able to come to life and recognize and realize, uh, as I said, I'm digging through all the data, like, I didn't realize I was a leader or that I could be considered a leader or how mm-hmm. I approach the situation is in a leadership way. Um, so it just kind of, it fills your heart. Yeah. So- so with that, a uh, couple of these are just direct quotes from the post-test from the class last semester. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things for reflecting on whether they feel comfortable being a leader, which is one of the areas that was signif- statistically significant growth, um, one of the people said, I've learned that many more people have the potential to be leaders than I initially thought, including myself. Um, another person talking about how they understand basic leadership concepts and philosophies. Um, I've learned that we have different skills that when used together achieve success. I'm not as organized as others, but have the vision and collaborative skills to produce results when paired with an organized person we do really well. So getting to see how people come in and say, oh, I'm not a leader. I'm taking this because the games will be fun. And then they come out going, no, I see, you know, Drew Dudley's talking about lollipop moments in everyday leadership. Yeah, I've seen these types of things and I can be a leader in everyday life. And getting to see them have that level of inspiration has been amazing. Yeah, I would definitely say for um, everyone listening, you know, we'll share in the show notes um, links to, you know, different articles. um, And and Drew Dudley, there's three different TED Talks um, that you shared us uh, shared links with. And I think they're really worth looking through because I mean, I went through all of them, you know, in preparation for the show today. And what really struck me when it came to leadership isn't, you know, like I said earlier, the person, you know, like in the front of the room at the lectern, but really about those values that we have in terms of what you say, what you stand for, how well they're defined in you and how well you use them to direct your life and, you know, what you want, the person you want to be, how you want to at, interact with the world. I mean, one that was said was um, with, with Drew Dudley, you know, imagine that you're being followed around with a camera, you know, that there's a camera crew following you for like two weeks. And then if they put together like a highlight reel, like what would they see for good or bad? And that really struck me, you know, <laughs> because, you know, I don't know that I would always love everything that I saw, you know, especially if I felt like I, you know, it'd be different if I felt like I was being watched, not necessarily that I would feel the need to necessarily perform, but I think it would make me much more cognizant of the choices that I made. And so if we lived our lives, not necessarily in fear of like Big Brother, but more like if we lived our lives in an optimal way in terms of who we are and what we want to be and how we want to interact with the world, that's leadership from my understanding, from what I was watching today, as much as anything else. And so I learned a ton just from the preparation and in speaking with you guys about this topic. 
Yeah, Drew is absolutely fantastic. We I mentioned I'm on the lecture series. We actually brought him to campus last year, which was a thrill for me because mm-hmm. I clearly use a lot of his stuff in the class. Um, and he and I have developed a friendship since. Um, just the concepts he has is exactly what Miami tries to teach about leadership. Our Wilkes Leadership Institute talks about how leadership isn't a position. It's about what you do and who you are as a person. Uh, in class, we try to model that of Bethany and I aren't the leaders of the class the students are. And with their quests and with how they get grades and with what they do, they have their own destiny in their hands. They are the leaders of the class. We are just here to help facilitate their learning. That's really, really cool. Well, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Do you have any advice for anyone who might be wanting to follow in your footsteps to do a class like this? Is there any last, you know, little nuggets of wisdom to pass along? Uh, yeah, I would say first and foremost, uh, nothing is out of your reach. Uh, like we kind of talked before, JS was super concerned, like, great, you're planning this class, we have no money, Um, neither of us make that much, so we can pull that out of pocket, so um, nothing's out of reach, where there's a will, there's a way, and if you have a topic you want to teach, whether it's board games or else wise, I mean, it's there, and you can make it work, just make sure you find someone that you gel with, Uh, (laughs) so if you're the squiggle, find your square, and just make (laughs) it come together. I would say one of the big things and something I've always told everyone and a lesson I try to convey to people is always ask. Um, because yes, someone could tell you no, but being told no isn't the worst thing in the world. I've been rejected a lot in my life. Um, but the yes is amazing and can get you amazing things. I'm living a dream every week that I get to come into this class and teach this class. This is one of the most amazing things I do. Um, so just being willing to ask and then to take the chance. Um, Students I work with a few years ago decided to take a chance to bring together this new student organization, and um, they were like, we want to bring all of the geeky groups on campus together under one umbrella, and so they created a group called the League of Geeks. And they were like, we don't know if this will ever amount to anything. And now it's one of the bigger orgs on campus. It has a convention every year that brings in literally hundreds of people. We had people driving in. Uh, we bring in special guests. So like this year, we had Tom, Sam, and Z from the Dice Tower. And we had people coming from Columbus. We had people coming from Louisville. And it's because they took that chance. Bethany got me to take the chance on this class. And it's absolutely fantastic. And tons of students are getting so much out of it. You, you just need to take that chance and then ask the question that needs asked. That's fantastic. Because what I love is, you know, sort of like sneaky way to get you to express a little bit of your own little leadership, (laughs) you know, philosophies towards here at the end. But I think this is really cool. And I think that a lot of people will really appreciate seeing how games, you know, common games that we've played, you know, a million times, whatever, how they can lend themselves to, um, like their own classroom experiences. I mean, my goal is to get a gifted program at our high school going and, you know, and, and I'm taking notes and I wrote down high school underline, you know, that, you know, this is something where taking my experience, my knowledge with games. Um, and this is something that I could do with our students that I think would be, you know, really, really important valued, especially since I work with gifted kids and developing self-awareness is a huge part that social emotional piece is a huge part of what we do with them. And this would align so nicely with it. Um, I could see this being really successful. So thanks so much. This has been, I mean, honestly, really inspirational for me as well. 
Thank you very much. We really enjoyed it. And yeah, I think there's so many uses for this. I mean, we use once upon a time in the class. And yes, we use it. And we talk about leadership and communications. You can use that to talk about English and creative writing. So I think that there's a lot of ways people can take games in ways that they've never thought of and do something new and interesting to teach a lesson. They can take survive and use it to talk about sociology. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of different things that people can do that they just don't they think oh this is a game it's for fun uh but no there's so much more there you just have to look at it mm-hmm. oh i had a student refuse to play survive because um she did not like the idea that people were worth different amounts um she did not enjoy it she refused to play it after her first time which was fine um but i never had that it was an unexpected but not necessarily an unsurprising reaction um, so if people want to know more, um, like I said, we'll put a lot in the show notes, but how can they get in contact with you guys if they wanted to speak more with you directly about what you do and how you do it? I think there's a number of ways. Um, we have our blog, um, and people can interact with us through there, um, which we'll put, we'll give you the link to put in the notes. Uh, people can email me directly. Um, you, I have no problem with you listing my email. Uh, we'll also give you our social media. So if people want to reach out on Twitter or anything, or mm-hmm. how we reached out to each other, at least for me, uh, more than for Bethany, um, I'm active-ish on Board Game Geek. I'm typically there every day, at least looking at stuff. So mm-hmm. if people send me messages through my account there, I readily reply to them. Um, and I've talked to a few people. I've provided the syllabus for syllabus we call it the player's handbook for class mm-hmm. um, I've provided the different resources we use in class uh, things like that to help a few other people who were interested in this so we would love for people to reach out and we'll give you all the information for the show notes yeah um, well so what is your uh, but what is your Twitter handle and what is your account uh, name on BGG so unfortunately I made the BGG account before um, like I was an early user of the site and I wish we could change our account because my account name on almost everything, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or PlayStation network is Hota essay, the geek, which uh, Hota essay is Spanish for JS. So it's JS, the geek, which was my name back when I used to be a professional wrestler. Um, Wait a minute. Why has that not come up? (laughs) Um, I feel like I've gotten tricked, but all right, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get, okay, go on. Uh, my, my board game geek name is just Hota Essay, which is J-O-T-A-E-S-E. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't started wrestling at the time, or I hadn't developed that character at the time, and so I hadn't tagged on the geek yet, so it was just Hota Essay. So, Bethany, tell us more about your extra hobbies as a magician's assistant. Tell us more about... <laughs> Your secret life that we suddenly are going to learn about. Oh, goodness. What do I do on the side? (laughs) No, totally. Before she says anything, totally throwing her under the bus here. She is a former princess um, or queen. Princess or queen? Queen. Which was it? I was the the top one. I was queen. Okay. So she's a former queen. Queen of what? Of my city. That's fantastic. So sparkle's my favorite (laughs) color. All right, so where can people find you online? Right, so I would definitely say the easiest way to reach me is through my email, which I'll make sure I'll I'll give that to you uh, after Mm -hmm. the show. Also, I'm on there probably more than I should be. Uh, I don't know all my Twitter stuff offhand because I'm not on Twitter uh, very often, but you can find me on Facebook. I do respond to friend requests because that's where I am the most often, posting programs and different projects I'm working on. So I'll get that to you also. Okay, that sounds great. We will have... 
all of that posted um, so that people can get in touch with you. And certainly um, I plan on doing so um, because um, I just think this is so interesting. And I think this is something that would be warmly received and would be a lot of fun for me, would be a lot of fun for students and really meaningful. And I think if we can, you know, hit those three things all at once, we're doing something right in education. And I'm so excited that you guys were given the opportunity by your university to do this in the first place. And it's obviously having a meaningful impact on people and it's growing as a program. So kudos to you um, and having the intelligence and ability to put all this together. So well done. Thank you. Excellent. Well, this is Kathleen Mercury. We've been having another cool episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find me online. I'm on BGG as Funk Donut, one word, speaking of things that we did once upon a time. Um, you can find me on Twitter as at Mercury with 7M, so at Mercury. And I'm always happy to help and collaborate. And I do that primarily through my website, KathleenMercury.com, where I share all of my game design teaching resources for free. So, um, take a look if there's something that you like, if you want questions, you want me to help put things together. I love doing it always for free. I just love games, games in the classroom and anything that I can do to make, um, to help other teachers get there. I'm all about it. So again, JS and Bethany, thank you so much for being on the show. An absolute thank pleasure. You for having us. Excellent. Well, with this, we'll see you next time on games in schools and libraries. Thank you for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com, where we have other great shows such as On Board Games, On RPGs, On Minis Games, and The Room Escape Divas. If you would like to be on the show or have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com and let us know. We do have our episodes booked out for several weeks in advance, so if you have something time-sensitive, you will want to contact us as early as possible.